You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Well, please turn with me to uh, the next bit of 2 Corinthians. Um, the next bit meaning that um, a little before Christmas, uh, when I was with you last, we were looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 2 uh, from uh, verse 12 through to verse, chapter 3 verse 6. So this time we're going to pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 7. So um, we'll have a little bit of a reminder of what we were looking at in a moment. Let me just thank the deacons for pre-mixing a gin and tonic perfectly. Um, Perhaps some ice. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to read from verse 7 through to verse 18. And uh, what Paul is doing here is um, outlining the superiority, if you like, uh, of the message that he and the other apostles and those uh, accompanying Paul have been preaching. And he's doing that to remind the church in Corinth that those who have come in after Paul and his companions were there, preaching a different gospel and trying to turn people away from Paul's gospel, and in doing so discredit, trying to discredit Paul, that, that what they're offering is actual, in actual fact not worth comparing with what they already have from the gospel that Paul and his companions were preaching. And uh, the people who were coming in afterwards uh, were bringing in a kind of uh, Judaizing message that taught that you really needed to do things which um, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, Covenant Testament, the same thing, the law of Moses taught. And if you did those things, then you would... You would live within the community of God's covenant people and you would therefore receive God's covenant promises and grace and blessings. So you had to put yourself into a position to receive God's grace by performing the works of the law. And of course, that's contrary to the gospel. Um, first of all, it's a word of instruction, not good news. So uh, it's not gospel. And secondly, it's just repeating the same problem that people had, that you, you're given things to do which, you, which you're actually never going to do. And third, of course, it completely bypasses uh, the wonder of Christ's work, which is to bear all our sin and uh, to, uh, to take in his body on the cross all our sin. So what was being taught was really opposed to what Paul and his companions had taught. So here he's, he's going to... Um, tell them just what a wonderful thing they already have um, through the gospel. 2 Corinthians 3, 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, and he's going right back to, to the message that Moses came down the mountain with. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, 
how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious is no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you give us understanding of these words, and we pray that um, though we've just read them and though we'll go away to our normal lives after this evening, we pray that your word will not just glance off us, uh, but we pray, Lord, that it would uh, sink in and that what we read and understand this evening would help us to live for your glory in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Well, Paul is uh, wanting the believers here, as he speaks about his own ministry in 2 Corinthians, to understand that it came from God, and it's really all about God's grace and God's glory in Christ. And so he paints this contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant that we were mentioning. To understand the particular way that he paints the contrast, we need to read um, a little bit of Old Testament just to get the story. We've just read about Moses' face radiating with glory and a veil and all that kind of thing. And, and that might be familiar uh, to you. Uh, it might not be familiar to you. So we're going to turn back and read the little bit in Exodus that Paul is referring to there. So if you want to turn back to Exodus and uh, to chapter 34, uh, we're going to read from verse 29. Exodus chapter 34, verse 29. Uh, in the Church Bible, it's on page 94. So Exodus chapter 34. This is the, the, the sort of the incident. This is the bit that Paul is referring back to. When Moses came down from, the mounts, from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the Testament in his hands, that's the Ten Commandments, um, etched in, onto two stone tablets, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord, with Yahweh. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands that Yahweh had given him on on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. 
Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. When sun lamps first sort of hit the scene back in the 70s or thereabouts, and sometimes you see this on sunny days, when we get our first really good sunny day in Scotland, sometime usually around May, or seems to hit when people are having exams, so they fail because they've been sunbathing instead of revising. Uh, You can tell who's been out in the sun. It used to happen with sun lamps because the face was beaming with... What was really the afterglow of being in the sun or being too long in front of a sun lamp? And uh, Moses, when he came down uh, Mount Sinai, having met with God and having spoken with Yahweh, having beheld the glory of God, uh, his face was beaming. And it's that that we've just read about in Exodus that Paul is talking about here when he's talking about the difference between the old and the new covenant. The Old Testament, that is the thing that Moses gave, those two tablets of the Testament, testimony, and uh, the New Covenant, the New Testament, that is fulfilled in Christ. Uh, and if, if I can just sort of tell us where this is going, because the passage seems that we've read together from 2 Corinthians might seem a little bit confusing to you. If I can just tell you where it's going, what, what we're going to be ending up with is... Um, Paul saying to the Corinthians that what we have in Jesus is not only lasting for this life, but it is absolutely eternal. And in Jesus, everything that is between us and God is taken away. Taken away forever. So that we not only behold the glory of God, but we reflect the glory of God. And then it goes on a little bit further. Um, we'll see towards the end. So let's, let's if you, for, for the next little while, focus on the text um, rather than on, on looking at me, if you like. Uh, and I'll encourage you to do that by not establishing eye contact with you and looking down at my text. Um, the ministry that brought, chapter 3, verse 7, the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory. Now, uh, in 7 through 11, uh, what Paul is talking about is the way in which the old covenant was wonderful but not that wonderful compared to the new covenant, which is truly wonderful. And the, one, the, the thing that was wonderful about the old covenant was that it came from God. Um, God was there, so glory was there in the giving of the old covenant uh, with Moses up on the mountain. Uh, the, the words themselves were good. What God gave his people to do through the Ten Commandments was good. There was nothing wrong with it. It reflected the glory of God because the Ten Commandments reflected the character of God. So that as his people lived out those Ten Commandments in the land that he, was promi- that he had promised them, they too would therefore reflect what God was like to the people around and they could be an influence. It was part of God's mission to have his people um, live like him. And the Ten Commandments and all the rest that followed was, was the way to do that. It was never meant to be a ladder to take you up to God. It was never meant to be a sort of a, a list of tick points that if you'd tick them all or enough of them, you would qualify for God's love. It was never meant to be that. But people took these laws and, and, and kind of used them in that way. But they were from God, so they were good. There's nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. There's nothing wrong with the law. It's from God. 
And so it came with glory. But you see how Paul describes that Old Testament, that Old Covenant. He describes it and the giving of it by Moses. So he's kind of paralleling himself with Moses here. If the ministry that brought death, that is, Moses coming down the mountain with these two stone tablets with etched onto them, cut into them, engraved into them the Ten Commandments from God, written by God's own finger. If that brought death, and it was glorious, how much more glorious is the message that has come to us from God, the Word of God, now incarnate in Jesus Christ, that brings life? Now, what, what he's sort of doing there is saying, look, the, the message that these other guys are bringing you, you want to trash me and discredit therefore the gospel, that, that's not going to bring you any life. That's not going to do you any good at all. Um, so why does he say that this ministry brought death? If this was from God for his people, if this was to direct their life in the land that he was giving them, if this was to give shape to what it meant to live before God in a covenant relationship with him, if this was meant to reflect what he was like to the people, why, why is it called a ministry that brings death? Well, if, if we have the time, we would turn to Romans chapter 5 and read there together how Paul describes the impact of the law. And the reason that that ministry of Moses bringing the law to the people, the reason why that brought death is because what it did for them was exactly what law does in our own sinful hearts. It gives you something to kick against. It gives you something to break. So you see a sign which says, do not walk on the grass. And even though it has never entered your heart ever to walk on grass, all of a sudden, because you've seen a sign, something in you saying, I'd like to walk on that grass. Not that or that grass there. That one. Uh, we were at Bletchley Park um, last Easter, and uh, we, um, the, the, where the Enigma and all the code breakers worked, and uh, there's a, a grass tennis court there. Um, and you know, all the, the way they reconstructed all the huts and everything else, and it's a, a lovely place. And there's this grass tenant court, and it was all marked out, and there was a net up and everything else. And there was a sign saying, keep off the grass. And I'm kind of thinking, well, what's the point of a tennis court if you've got to keep off the grass? So I had this picture of people kind of hovering over the surface and not touching it and playing tennis. But you see a sign, keep off the grass, you want to walk on it. You see a sign, a red circle with a big 30 in the middle of it, and you feel like your style is being cramped uh, somewhat. You, you feel your innate uh, Hamilton coming out, and uh, you just want to go there. And the law of God is like that, because God says, do this, and something in our hearts says, well, actually, I don't want anybody telling me what. I, I'm God, thank you. I'll, I'll do the God thing. So if somebody's going to tell me not to do something, I, I, I'm going to want to do that. And that's why the law brings death, because the thing that God tells us not to do that we then go and do, or the thing that God tells us to do that we then say, I'm going to do that, I'm not going to do that thing, has to do with sin. So he gives us righteousness and what it looks like, in the law, and we go for sin. And sin brings death. 
whereas righteousness brings life. So the law is not bad, but it stirs up sin within us, as Paul writes in in Romans 5. It stirs it up, and we want to go and do the thing. And Paul himself, in Romans 7, gives testimony to what that is like. You know, the good that I would, I do not, and the very thing that I would not do, that that I shouldn't do, that very thing I do. So, So what Paul is saying here is, look, what you're being enticed back to is not a message that brings you life. It's not a message which is going to cure your sinfulness. It's a message which is going to reveal your sinfulness. It's not a message which is going to dampen down your rebellion against God. It's going to stir up your rebellion against God and inflame it. But even that message, because it was coming from God, came with glory. And that glory... Uh, the glory of God was revealed on Moses' face so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was. And then comes a contrast. Now, will not the ministry of the Spirit, so this is coming from, from the Lord again, this is coming from God again, what we brought to you, the gospel of Jesus Christ, was coming from the Spirit. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns because the law that you rebel against stands against you, therefore condemning you. If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? If what encouraged you to be wrong before God came with glory from heaven via Moses, how much more glorious is the message of the gospel that Jesus Christ is your righteousness that will bring you life forever. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away, because the glory on Moses' face faded over a while, came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts, the life that comes is eternal. So what's he saying? What what, what, what do we take from this? Everything that is not the gospel, however religious it sounds, however morally upright it sounds, however good and instructional it sounds, if it's not the gospel and it's replacing the gospel, it will kill you. It will take you away from God. And however wonderful it might seem to you, that glory will fade. And you will not become glorious through it. Now, that is particularly important for us because the thing that most Christians remember Paul is writing to a church here right the thing that knocks most Christians out of the saddle if it's not just out and out sin is the subtle replacing of the gospel with the law it is the transference in our hearts from trusting Christ to be all our righteousness and our only righteousness and our sufficient righteousness to beginning to trust our performance of the law, which may be the law of Moses, but actually may just be a whole set of social things that we construct and a set of moral instructions which are not wrong, but which are not the gospel. The gospel is not instruction. 
The gospel is good news. Euangelion, it is a good announcement. And try harder, do this and not that, is not news, that's instruction. And it is just one of the most subtle works of the devil to do in our hearts over a longer period what was happening in Corinth. That is to make the immediacy of our religious action and the obvious rightness of those actions become the thing that we trust. So we start out in the Christian life trusting Christ who has carried all our sin. Trusting Christ not simply to give us righteousness, make us right with God, but to be our righteousness. So the one whose life was perfect and right in every way before God, who never sinned, who lived our life and then died our death upon the cross, bearing our sin, not his own, he ceases subtly to become the basis on which we're living the Christian life and instead our performance of a set of instructions and and sort of subcultural mores, that becomes the basis on which we judge how we're doing and how right we are with God and whether or not we're good Christians. So we start trusting ourselves. And our Christian confidence, which is all in Jesus, begins to diminish. So isn't it ironic that in a religious situation that is supposed to be very definitely not, as many might, might say, not Roman Catholic. We share with many Roman Catholics a dominant emotion. As Presbyterians, if, if you're a Presbyterian, um, then, you know, well, don't worry. <laughs> we'll get better one day. We've, we share a dominant emotion, which is guilt. One of the predominant Presbyterian emotions is guilt. Why is that? Because subtly, by hook or by crook, we shift from the unfading glory of God who is our life to the fading glory. It's not to knock it and say that all the, 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 the laws and the mores are bad in themselves, but we shift onto that fading glory. They will all go they will all pass away. Some of them will pass away in our lifetime. There was a generation of Christians who thought that if you went to the cinema, you were completely backslidden. Right? That's pretty much gone now. And we have new things. There was a generation of Christians who thought that church kitchens were evil. Um, there was a generation of Christians who thought that if you wore lipstick for women... Um, there is still a generation who has trouble with that for guys, but you know, then there was something wrong with you. You were worldly. So what did you do? You conformed and you complied. And then someone changed the standards. Where did that leave you? I, I couldn't go to the cinema. I'd feel guilty. What? <laughs> uh, I couldn't put lipstick on. it fades it leaves you with nothing if you've put your trust in it 
Paul is saying to the Corinthians, he's, he's, he's just saying, look, what you've got in the gospel is unfading in its glory. All the glory of righteousness from God in Christ, a message delivered to you from God in the power of the Spirit, the direction of the Spirit, with the words that the Spirit has given, who gave you understanding of those words, all that is going to lead you to life and eternal life, and the glory of it will never, ever fade. But what the people who would replace the gospel with religion are teaching you will just suck the life and the joy out of it. But then in 12 following, he he shifts a bit and we begin to see what the consequences of that are because we not only are beholders of glory, but like Moses with his face beaming, we are reflectors of glory. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. What does he mean we are very bold? Well, the word that he uses describes having the right to free speech. He says, look, because we've got this glory, we are totally plain and open about what we see. We speak boldly. Our words and our lives reflect what we have seen. Moses didn't do that. When Moses came down with the glory, what happened? He put a veil over his face. So the people couldn't see the glory of God. The glory of God was veiled, even whilst it was fading behind the veil. Moses didn't need that when he was in God's presence, so when he went into the presence of God, he took the veil away. But as far as these people, the rest of the Israelites were concerned, it was not for them to see the glory of God. So he was hidden, he was kind of coy, he was a bit secretive about the glory. Veiled it. But Paul is saying, look, this new covenant, this righteousness that is in Christ through the gospel, it, Jesus just whips the veil away. There is nothing now to hide us from the glory of God. So we can not only and hide other people from it, we want to declare it. Having seen it, having beheld the glory of God in the face of Christ, having beheld the wonder and the glory of God's grace and mercy and truth and righteousness in Jesus, having seen it and it having come into our hearts, we want to reflect it to everybody. We are very bold. Moses was very coy, veiled. But because of Jesus, we are very bold. Why? Why? Because Christ bore all our sin. He is all our righteousness. There is no fear. There is no terror in the glory of God anymore. Because Christ has borne in his body on the cross everything that will be burned up by the glory of God. Remember the hymn, the terrors of law and of God with me can have nothing to do. My Savior's obedience and blood hide all my transgressions from view. Do you believe that? Or are you living a religious life? But not a life of faith in Christ. The terrors of law and of God with me can have nothing to do. 
my Savior's obedience and blood hide all my transgressions from view. See, if all you've got is your religion, you ought to be scared of the glory of God. This is not the fear of God we were talking about this morning. This is terror. If all you've got is your religion, you ought to be terrified at the glory of God because it will burn up your righteousness in a moment. But if you've got Christ, then you want to gaze on the glory of God. You want to behold it and you want to revel in it and you want to turn your face to the sun and let it shine on you in all its heat and light and power because there's no terror in your heart because Christ bore everything that could not stand the glory of God. Every impurity, everything that might love the shadows, Christ bore it in his body on the cross. And he took the penalty of it. He took the burning up wrath of God. As it were, the cup of God's foaming wrath. He drank to the dregs on the cross. And that's the gospel. It's news, isn't it? It's not instruction. Tim Callow has a very interesting distinction between law and gospel. He talks about the law and every other religion around, not just um, that kind of version of Christianity or perversion of Christianity, um, as being instruction sprinkled with stories. But the gospel is one story sprinkled with instruction. It's news. And Paul isn't simply saying, now we want to behold all the full glory of God, and we can do. He's saying, now we, and we're, we ourselves are going to experience being taken from one glory to another. There is a glory of being justified before God. There is a glory of being sanctified before God. But there is a glory that will come to us when we see God in all his glory. And what then? Will his glory simply be revealed to us? No. Paul, when he's writing to the Romans, in chapter 8, verse 18, says remarkably there that we are waiting for the glory to be revealed, not to us, but to be revealed in us. So the full sonship of the children of God will be measured by all the full glory of God, brilliance, outshining radiance, truthful wonder, all the full glory of God being revealed in us. It will be seen, well, shall we say, it will be seen by the angels and by one another. When we look at each other, we will see the glory of God because we will truly be his sons and daughters, therefore truly like him. That's what John writes in 1 John chapter 3. When we see him, we will be made like him. To behold him will be to become like him. With all the full glory of God unveiled 
in us. So no wonder Paul's heart just aches and bleeds when he feels, when he, when he realizes that these Corinthians, these dear, daft, immature Corinthian Christians are being duped by something which is good and looks good but is only good for a while and only even looks good for a while and is going to just lead them away from the splendor of the full glory of God that they can see. Now, that is the great characteristic of Paul's preaching. And it's going to come out in, in what we're going to look at um, uh, the next time I'm with you in an evening when we look at uh, four following. So, but just let's anticipate that. Look at chapter 4, verse 5. We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us what? To give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Which closing point is instructive to us? Um, Paul, here in 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 18, Paul is saying... Look, the, the gospel gives you righteousness and therefore gives you life. Unfading righteousness. But do you see what is the most important thing about the gospel to Paul? The most important thing about the gospel, ironically, is not us, the recipients of the good news. The most important thing about the gospel is God. The most important thing about the gospel is all this stuff about glory. So that the ultimate thing that we behold is not us being righteous. The ultimate thing that we behold, which will be the most amazing thing that will totally transform us, is not us being forgiven incredibly wonderful though that is it is the glory of the God who has forgiven us what does the gospel do the gospel turns you completely inside out so that living the life of the gospel you are not the center of your universe or anybody else's you are not the most important thing you're not the most wonderful thing. Your forgiveness of sins is not the most wonderful thing, wonderful though it is. Your understanding of the scriptures is not the most wonderful thing, wonderful though it is. Your cleanness before God is not the most wonderful thing, wonderful though it is. The most wonderful thing is God. And the end point of the preaching of the gospel and the end point of the receiving of the gospel is not you justified, sanctified, and glorified, but God in all his glory.
and it is beholding that glory and giving glory to God rather than going around and admiring ourselves that is the end point of the whole thing. So the church in Revelation doesn't with all the host of heaven sing a song about the glory of the redeemed but about the glory of God to whom is given all glory and power and dominion. Everything else, anything else, no matter how religious it looks, no matter how Christianly religious it looks, will take your attention off the glory of God and put it on you and probably on one or two others who are underperforming. Or maybe on one or two of those who you think are getting on better than you and you'll just feel even worse about yourself. Every message that is not the gospel will diminish you because it diminishes the glory of God in your eyes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that not only might we behold your glory and gaze upon you in our hearts and just find hope and transformation as we look at you and and think on you and, and speak to you and worship you. But Lord, we pray that you would be transforming us in this way so that we might reflect your glory to this darkened world. We pray that the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ that has shined into our hearts through the preaching of the gospel might shine into other people's hearts through our proclamation of the gospel. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you would help us in this. We pray you would forgive us if, if we have... Uh, if we have allowed, just let it slip this way without ever deliberately wanting it, but it's just become the case that you are not the center and son of our lives. And we pray that you would restore us uh, to that increasing glory that comes from Christ our righteousness that increasing glory that comes to us as we gaze upon you. Help us, Lord, we pray, to find just the sum of satisfaction for our souls in you so that we might sing like the people of Israel. All our fountains are in you. All our delights, all our reviving, refreshing delights are in you. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk 
For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.